Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Solve My World podcast. I am your host, Joseph Ward, and today, being our Monday show, we are going to talk about something that you can do in your life personally to make the world a better place. And just to drive that point home, I've I've been noticing how many people lately I've seen around me that are just so worried about different issues in the world. And I think there is a place for paying attention to those things and um, you know, thinking about how they could be better. But at the end of the day, we're probably not going to be able to solve those on our in our day-to-day life. But there's lots of things that we can personally do to make our lives better that would make a, uh, a huge difference in our lives that we can actually control. And so rather than focusing on the things that we can't really control that won't really we can't really change how they affect our lives. I think it's a lot more important to focus on the things that we can actually control that will make our life better. And so that's the whole point of these Monday shows is to find something that we can actually do to make our lives a little better. So with that being said, today I I wanted to talk about, well, the topic is called How to Change Your Mind. And it was inspired by a TED Talk I was listening to. Um, I've subscribed to a podcast feed that's called TED Talks Daily. And it's it's been pretty fun. I it, You get like a quick 10, 15 minute presentation um, that's been a TED Talk. Someone, I don't know, whoever is doing the feed just curates and grabs different TED Talks from different places and just puts out one every day. And, you know, I probably skip maybe 30 to 40% of them because it's something that I'm not really interested in, but the ones that I do listen to are usually pretty interesting. And it's just kind of like a little bite, uh, what am I trying to say? A little, a bite-sized morsel of information to, uh, in some, some random topic. So anyway, there was one that was, that was entitled how to change your mind and maybe I'll look it up and put it on the show notes because I can't remember exactly what it is. And I'll be honest, I listened to it uh, about a week or two ago, so I can't really remember exactly what they talked about in that specific uh, talk, but it got my mind thinking because this is a topic that I think is really interesting uh, for, I guess, for reasons that I'll get into in this podcast. So, So let's just jump right into it. Obviously, all of us have opinions on how we think that the world works around us. You know, as soon as we're born, our brain starts having to uh, to make decisions about what we believe and how we view the world. If we don't have these beliefs on how the world works, we can't really function. So we have to come up with some, some way um, to view the world. But I le- one thing I like to think to myself is what are the chances that every single thing that I think is correct is actually correct. Um, with all the different things, all the different opinions that I have, what are the chances that I'm right on all of them? And the chances are probably pretty low. And so I I should keep that in mind that I'm, pr- I'm probably wrong in many of my opinions. And, and even if I'm not necessarily wrong, I might be just not quite right, you know, not just barely not right. You know, there's a little bit of information I could be missing. 
And it basically comes back to the idea that that there's so much information out there. There's so many things to learn that we can't really know everything. And so there's always more we can learn about issues. And it seems like when I when I do have a pretty strong opinion on something, it's because I haven't really um, dug into the issue very deep. Because as soon as I start digging into the issue, I start realizing that there's usually a lot more nuance than I was thinking about in the first place. And, and the deeper I get into the subject, the more I realize that there's merit to both arguments. You know, when I, um, when I just assume that one way is obviously right and everyone who thinks the other, uh, thinks the opposite of me is just ignorant or something. I think that's ignorant of me to think that everyone else is just, you know, dumb just because they don't have the same opinion as me. Usually there's reasons why they have those opinions. And usually those reasons are pretty compelling. Otherwise they wouldn't think that. Now, obviously there are some things that are, that are less compelling and that's where we have to uh, learn as much as we can and then use our judgment. And we'll talk about that more as we, uh, as we finish up today. So, so if we are, if we are actively trying to change our mind to be more correct over time, our chances of being right more often will actually go up. So if you do feel like you want to be right more of the time, the best way to do that is to try and prove yourself wrong as much as you can. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't realize uh, when people talk about the scientific method. The when, when people say things like the science is settled, for example, that drives me crazy because Sci- the definition of science is it's always it, it's always potentially changing. I'm trying to make sure that I I say exactly what I'm thinking, but the the way that the scientific method works is you have a hypothesis, which is I think this is the way the world works, and then you test it. And you what you're doing is you're not proving it right; you're trying to prove it wrong. Because if you can prove it wrong, then you know that it's not correct. Because in science, it's very difficult and it may be impossible, but I don't know if I want to use the word impossible just in case I'm not quite right on that. But but you're very rarely at least going to be able to actually prove something right. And so all you can do, even our best scientific discoveries are really, um, we've just proven them, we've just not proven it wrong every time we've tested it. Um, one example that that people use a lot is gravity. So gravity, you can't actually prove that gravity is, um, you know, however we define it, that it always works all the time because to prove that we would have to test every possible, uh, every possible situation. And since it's impossible to test every possible situation, we just have to assume that, okay, we've tested it hundreds, thousands of times, and we observe it to be the same every single time. So it's pretty safe to say that gravity is going to work the same way every time, just because it always has. But all it takes is for one time for that to be wrong, and suddenly we have to rethink what we thought we knew. And there's many examples of this in science over time. And so you have to be very careful. Whenever you hear someone say that the science is settled, then that should immediately throw up a red flag. doesn't necessarily mean that what they're going to say is wrong, but you should throw up a red flag and be like, okay, well, science is never really settled. Even if all the scientists in the world agreed that they thought that this was the case, one, they're probably not really good scientists because they should realize that they could be proven wrong. And two, 
all it takes is one experiment to prove them wrong. And, and it's, um, and then you have to rethink everything. Now, to be fair to people that say stuff like that, what they're really saying is that we're pretty sure that something is the way that it is because we've observed it to be that way over and over. Like, for example, if someone said, the science is settled, gravity is a thing, I'd be like, okay, well, not necessarily, but I'll give you that because it, we're pretty sure gravity works the way it does all the time. Though I have heard, and I could be wrong, but I have heard that when you get down in the quantum realm, suddenly gravity doesn't exactly follow the same laws. So, but I don't remember if that's actually true. But anyway, the point is, there's always more to learn, and you can't ever prove something, uh, at least in science, you can't prove something correct. And maybe I, I'm going to be getting off on too much of a tangent, but it's too late. My brain's already going there, so we're going to jump into it. So one one thing that that uh, that you can prove something wrong, uh, prove something correct, is if you're talking about something that is a um, Oh, let's see. How do I explain this? Well, something like math, for example. So in math, you can prove that two plus two equals four. And it and and we know that two plus two will always equal four, and that's just a correct mathematical principle. And the reason why we can say that for sure is because math isn't actually a natural system. It's something that we as humans designed to help us to understand the world. And so we designed this system and we made the rules. And so we can actually say, okay, the rules say that you can add numbers together in this certain way. And so if you take two and you add two to it, it's going to equal four. And that's the rule. And so since it's following the rules, we can prove that it's true. And that's why when you get into stuff like mathematical proofs and, um, and when you talk about like theorems versus conjectures, a conjecture is more like we think this is true because it looks like it's always true, but we can't prove it using the rules of math that it is true. And then a theorem, and hopefully I'm getting those names correct, but a theorem is when someone's like, okay, here's the actual proof of it. This is how it works. Um, here's all the different mathematical rules. And if you use all these rules, it proves that this thing is actually true. And so in science, since you can't actually prove it because we don't really know all the laws of nature, we have to discover them. Um, you, you only really have what you'd call in, in math, a conjecture. So in, in science, a theory is basically conjecture in math where you can, where you say, we're pretty sure that this is the way it works, but since we can't prove it for sure, we're still open to be proven wrong. So, um, so anyway, that's probably doesn't really matter that much for what we're talking about, but, but I've already said it, so it's too late. You had to listen to it. So. If we're if we're going to go off of this whole idea that that we're probably wrong with some of our opinions, then what you need to ask yourself whenever whenever you um, come across an issue that um, an issue that you might not agree with, that I think I'm pretty sure this idea came from the podcast I listened to, but a good exercise is to ask yourself, what would it take for me to change my mind? And if you ask yourself that, it opens your mind up to the possibility of being wrong. So, and if you, and by doing that, it makes you willing to actually accept when you are wrong. And so, so I thought that was really 
interesting and I am going to try and apply it more in, in when I'm thinking of things. So if you, if someone brings something up um, that's controversial and you don't agree with it, agree with it, just ask yourself, what would it take to change my mind on this subject? Um, I'm trying to think of like an example that I could use, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Well, maybe let's just say something like politics. Um, cause that's something that pretty much everyone has a strong opinion on. And so let's say that you are a Republican and you've got a democratic friend and they've got, oh, I don't know, some political issue. Let's just stay in general terms. But if they say, um, you know, that Democrats are always right, your initial reaction of course is going to be like, well, nope, that's wrong because I know that Republicans are right. So ask yourself, okay, what would it take for me to have my opinion changed on this? Maybe I would need to see some data that proved the point that they're making, or maybe I would have to hear some sort of philosophical, logical reasoning that explained why the way they're thinking makes sense. Um, you know, so think of that to yourself. Um, in probably, in my opinion, if if someone wanted to convince me to their political leaning, that's probably what it would take for me. I would need to understand why logically that is a good opinion to have. And if, and if you could show me that it logically makes more sense than whatever I'm thinking, then I'm more likely to change my mind on that. And so now that I've thought that now I'm open to the possibility of having my mind changed. So, so with this being said, this doesn't mean that we need to change our mind all the time. Because just like sometimes we're wrong, sometimes we're right. And and I've seen some people that as soon as you tell them a new thing, they just immediately assume that that's the new correct answer. In fact, I heard a, of a study one time, and I don't have any source, so go ahead and just ignore all of this. But it was saying that the, what generation was, I think it was like Generation X is what they were talking about they tended to whatever opinion they first heard um, was the opinion that they tended to keep throughout their lives. Whereas the millennial generation, they tended to whatever the last opinion they heard, that tended to be the opinion that they assumed was right. And so it was kind of a flip-flop. And so kind of the, um, it might kind of make sense to your mind because that seems like kind of the, uh, the stereotype of the generations. You've got the generation X where it's like, well, they, they're just stuck in their old ways, you know, whatever. And then you've got the millennials where it's like, oh, they're just jumping from thing to thing and they're never, they're wishy-washy and whatever. And, and that study, whatever it was, um, seems to give that a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, uh, backing some, yeah, some proof. Proof's not the right word, but but anyway, it tends to make you think that. So that's the other extreme that you don't want, because usually whatever opinion you've had before, there's a reason why you had it, and you shouldn't just immediately assume that you're wrong, because you might actually be right. And just because something new comes out doesn't mean we should jump on it and change our mind right away. Uh, sometimes there's new information that comes out and people get all excited about it. And so suddenly they think this is the way it's going to be. 
And then within a few years or even less, um, people realize, oh, actually, that's not really the case. And then um, you have to change your opinion back again. So, so things that have been um, understood longer will probably be more likely to be uh, the correct answer in general because that they've stood, withstood the test of time. But that being said, that just because something has been a um, a uh, accepted truth also doesn't necessarily mean that it is correct. So, so you always have to to look at both options. But I would say that you should usually err on the side of sticking with the established belief, um, while staying open to the new belief because it's more likely that the old belief is going to be the correct one. So one way that you can judge this is by thinking to yourself that, that there's reasons that people or that, or ourselves believed what it was that we used to believe or that we do believe. And so we should take that into account. What are the reasons why, um, before you just jump onto a new idea? And the example that keeps popping into my head for some reason is something like um, the direct election of senators, which was one of the amendments to the Constitution. Um, people uh, were thinking to themselves, well, I should back up. So the Senate originally in the United States, the, the way senators were elected was the state governments would appoint the senators. And then the senators would go and and serve, you know, for six years, I believe. And then, um, but the state uh, legislatures could, um, well, actually, I don't know if it's the legislatures or or if the um, governor got to pick them or whatever. I'm not entirely sure. I think it was like the state legislators got to pick them, but um, but they were they could be recalled at any time. And so the idea was that the states would have a say in the federal government. Um, and if their senators weren't doing what the states wanted, they could bring them back. But at some point, and I don't even know when it was in history, but at some point um, people decided it would be a good idea if if we had more democracy, you know, because democracy always sounds good. And we should be able to vote for our senators. You know, we should be able to pick them. And, and doesn't that sound like it would be a good idea for us to pick our senators? And so people voted to um, to have direct election of senators to where now um, we vote for our senators just like we vote for our members of the House of Representatives, uh, our congressmen. And and so that was a change that happened in the Constitution. And, and, and my opinion on the matter is that that probably wasn't a good idea, but I'm also, um, I don't know, I'm not like a, I'm not prepared to defend that opinion uh, very strongly. But but the point of the story is when they did that, the pe- it's, it's very easy for the people to be like, oh yeah, we should have more democracy. The more democracy, the better. And so we should get to vote for our senators. But then if you didn't think about the fact that, well, the reason why we have the senators appointed by the state legislators is so that the state governments could have a say in the federal government. We already got to vote for our House of Representative members. And so there were supposed to be a checks and check and balances there 
so that the federal government wouldn't get too much power. But then because of the um, the amendment, now the the state governments don't really have a say. And so, um, and so that potentially can give the federal government too much power. And so you see, you see stuff like that happening now with people talking about um, getting rid of the, um, the electoral college. And again, on this issue, I don't know if I, if I uh, know, I've studied it and thought about it enough to say whether or not, you know, we should or shouldn't, or it would be better to get rid of it or not. My, my instinct is that it would be better to keep it because, um, you know, like I said, the instinct is usually to keep the old thing unless we can find a really good reason why the old thing was a flawed idea in the first place. And the idea of, of the, the electoral college was to allow the states to have a little bit more power again in the federal government so that they could, um, you know, the, the, the smaller population states could have more of a say and so that the higher population states wouldn't get to um, change everything. But, and so, so when we think about, okay, well, we should just have our president elected by a straight majority vote. It sounds like it might be a good idea, but you need to think about, well, why was the old idea there? If it's such a good idea to just elect the president with a direct election, then why wasn't that the way it was in the first place? Why was it set up the other way? And you could just say, well, because they were dumb or whatever, but I don't think that's a very good way to do things because you're most likely going to make wrong decisions if you think that. So you need to think to yourself, why did they do that and study it? Okay, what were what were their reasons? And then you can decide if you think their reasons were good reasons or not. And I don't know what the reasons were, so I can't comment on that, but that's the way to think about it. And, and sometimes the reason why people, uh, going back to general terms, the reason why people don't um, don't share the same opinion as you is because of ignorance. You know, someone might think that iPhones are better because they're, they're just ignorant to the fact that the Android phones are actually better. And so you need to take that into account. Okay, they just haven't learned enough to know that iPhones are worse than Android phones. And uh, just in case anyone can't uh, understand my sarcasm, I I, th- I don't I don't think it comes off as good in my podcast. But uh, I actually don't really care if you have an iPhone or an Android. Though I do think Android phones are generally better for most people. But we can get into that debate if you guys want. Uh, but but let's go ahead and use that example. So so I think the Android phones are better for me in general. So why do other people think that iPhones are better? Okay, so if you talk to people that have iPhones, they might say they really like the quality. They like the fact that they are smooth, work really well, that Apple's ecosystem is really good. Um, you know, they might have all these different, uh, that they're that they're simple. They might have all these different reasons. And I could argue, well, yeah, but there's certain things that I want to be able to do that you can't do with an iPhone and you can do pretty much whatever you want with an Android. And both of our opinions might actually be correct, which is why at this point, my opinion is for most people, I think an Android phone is probably better because they're cheaper and they're usually just about as good. But for some people, I think an iPhone might be better because if you already really like Apple and have all the Apple stuff, then an iPhone might be a good option for you to have because of that. 
And so that's an example where it doesn't, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong for each person. And it's really easy for people to just be like, well, everyone should use an Android phone. And for someone else to be like, well, everyone should use an iPhone. But usually there's a reason why there's multiple companies. It's because there are um, different needs that people have and the different companies fulfill different needs. So, so most issues are going to have situations like that where there's, there's arguments and counter arguments and almost all the issues that we have today have been debated back and forth by different people for years and years in some cases. And so if there's an opinion out there, you can usually research really quickly online to find out, okay, why do, what are the arguments for and against certain topics? Uh, in a, if you were in a debate on a debate team, this is something you'd have to do all the time because when you go to a debate competition, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't know which argument or, or you don't know if you're going to be arguing for or against the topic until you get there. And so you have to study both sides so that you can know, okay, if I'm going to argue for this, what am I going to say? And if I'm going to argue against it, what am I going to say? And so you're going to be able to know what the arguments and the counter arguments are. So that if someone says, well, I think this is the answer, you know exactly what to say to be like, to be like, well, that's not a good answer because of this, this, and this. And so that's a great example of being able to look at both sides of the issue. So, so do that, look online, find out what the, or research however you want, but find out what the, what the arguments for and against the different topics are and what are the reasons behind it. And the deeper you get into it, the more you'll find all that, the nuance to the answers and how most of the time the real answer is, it depends. So at, at the end of the day, usually it comes to where does your worldview originate and what's most important to you? And so in a lot of cases, it comes down to questions of your views of morality or how you think that the world actually works. You know, especially when we talk about political things, um, philosophical debates, and most things I think eventually come down to that if you keep, uh, if you keep following them further and further down. <clears throat> Sorry, I got to get a drink. I'm <clears throat> losing my voice again. <sighs> Got to keep exercising those vocal cords. So, so I wanted to talk about one little fun example. Uh, fun example here at the end, and I probably shouldn't because it's probably in bad taste, but I can't help it because, because um, uh, about I don't know three or four years ago, I realized that there was a whole group of people that still believed that the earth was flat. And if you're listening to this and you think that the earth is flat, then I welcome to have, I, I am welcome to you trying to convince me that my opinion's wrong on, um, because I believe that the earth is round uh, or a, an oblate spheroid, I guess is the technical term. Um, you know, that we're a globe. Uh, so I'm a globe earther. 
according to the flat air theory. So, so anyway, I'm going to use this kind of an example because I, um, when I first found out about this, I was just like, how on earth can people think that, you know, it just seems like such, like it was so mind blowing that people could think that. And so of course my first reaction is, well, well, they just, they must just be dumb. You know, they must just be uneducated, but of course that's not a good thing, a good way to think about it. Um, though it could be true. Usually it's not, usually there's some good reasons or at least some, uh, reasons that sound like they could be good. So following this, following my own advice, I would think to myself, so what would it take to convince me that the earth is actually flat? And I think for me, I would need to have a convincing set of arguments to explain all the natural phenomena we have, um, that we experience in the world around us that explains it better than our current uh, model of gravity and, uh, you know, the rotation of the earth around the sun and things like that. Excuse me for a second. And uh, I'm, I'm just trying to decide how much I should get into this because it could be fun. Okay. I'll just give you a quick rundown of, cause I, I did a lot of research a few years ago on what the arguments actually were, because I was like, they've got to have some arguments for how they think this works. So the basic idea, and of course uh, I have to say that most flat earthers don't really agree with each other. And so there's lots of differing opinions on the matter, but it seems like this is the most, um, the most common view is that the earth is flat with, with, uh, if you've ever seen the UN flag, that's kind of what it looks like. So you've got the Arctic in the middle and then around the, around the, uh, outside of the circle is Antarctica and Antarctica is actually a giant ice wall that keeps all the water in to, uh, keeps all the oceans in from falling off the edge. And, um, depending on who you talk to, some people think that the, the way gravity actually works is that we're actually flying through space up. And so that kind of, you know, pushes us down. And so we're flying through space accelerating at um, 9.8 meters per second squared, which is how fast gravity pulls things to Earth. Oh, man. I'm really losing my voice. Hopefully I can push through this. <clears throat> so, um, but some another argument I've heard is something that they call buoyancy, which is where just things just kind of fall or float based on their weight. But the problem with that is, of course, weight is a measure of how much gravity is pulling on you. So so just saying that weight explains it doesn't explain what causes things to have weight. Um, you know, because weight, the way we measure weight is mass um, and gravity. So whatever the gravity is, it tugs on the mass and that's what pulls it down. So they don't, I haven't been able to find anyone that can actually explain how that works they just say, well, it's just buoyancy. And it's like, well, okay, so what causes that? Well, it's just the way that it is. Okay, that's fine. But I think gravity is a little bit more of a well-thought-out argument uh, for now. Um, and, oh, and then, so you've got the sun and the moon, and they're actually a lot smaller 
and they're really close to the earth and they just circle around the earth. And, um, and so as the sun circles the earth, it's kind of like a spotlight that just shines down on the earth. And, um, so wherever the spotlight is shining down, that's what lights the earth up. Um, now of course, a quick argument against that is if you've ever seen a spotlight, if you look up into the sky, you can see the spotlight there. So, so I don't understand how that could work. Cause if the sun was basically just shooting directly down, which also, if it's a, if it's a sphere, which I'm pretty sure they say that the sun is a sphere, um, how can it just have directional light shining down? Like I, I can't understand a natural, um, a natural, uh, I can't think of the word, uh, phenomena that would explain a ball of light shining directly down. But even if it did, if you looked up at it, you'd still be able to see it, even if it wasn't shining on you. And so what they say is as the sun gets further away, eventually you just can't see it because it's too far away. Um, and I guess that is an argument. They say that your eyes can only see so far. And so, um, and so maybe they just say that the light's too far away for you to see it, which there's also not any proof that that's a thing because, um, because, uh, our eyes can see, well, I don't know exactly how to explain what I'm thinking, but, but like, if you look through a telescope, for example, you can see a lot further and it's not because the telescope is magically, um, I don't know, making, uh, I don't know how to explain this. The light is bouncing off things and going into your eye and the more focused our eyes are, the more we can, um, can see something. So something really far away, I think the reason why we can't really see it is just because there's too much in that direction for us to actually see it. Whereas if you look through a telescope, it focuses in on that spot and magnifies it so that we can see it. So anyway, I would need to see some kind of proof of how, um, how, uh, why we can't see that far. Cause that's not something that I think has been proven. Uh, another problem is seasons, because the way that seasons work is the um, is the sun gets farther away, and so it gets a little bit colder, and so and plus the days get shorter, and so the explanation I've seen of that is the sun goes in a spiral, and then spirals back out. But the problem with that is then the days would either have to be longer in the southern hemisphere than they are in the northern hemisphere. Or the sun would have to actually speed up while it's in the southern hemisphere to catch up to the northern hemisphere. Which, of course, it, well, I mean, how you'd have to somehow show how that could work. Um, because I can't imagine some, like, the sun just being in the cycle where it just goes at a certain speed and then it speeds up and then it slows back down, then speeds up and then slows back down. But maybe it's possible. You'd have to, you'd have to convince me logically. But anyway, that's kind of the basic of, of what the beliefs are. So I came across an article where uh, it was talking about how the world would look if the world was actually flat. And, and the article itself was kind of interesting. But the best part was the comments below, because a lot of people that believe in flat earth theory came and started leaving comments. And one thing I really like about reading flat earth theorists comments is many of them 
I don't want to like be rude, but a lot of them haven't really researched much about what their arguments are. And so I'm not trying to say that all flat earth people haven't done their research, but the ones, a lot of the ones in the comment sections haven't and show their ignorance and it's kind of fun to read them. So I wanted to read a couple of my favorites. And this has to do with my topic. Um, so, so that's why I'm going to do it. So one, oh, I wish I, I should have kept their names or something, but, but I didn't. I just said copied and pasted them. So one person's argument is water does not curve. The water in Florida is as flat as the water in Hong Kong, China. First argument, water does not curve. I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to say because water bends to whatever shape it's in because it's a liquid. I'm guessing what they're saying is that water lies flat, which also is not actually true because water has a with because of surface tension, it can also it can kind of create like a like a dome shape. But that's getting a little bit nitpicky. So what I'm I'm guessing what they're saying is since we're saying that the earth is a globe, how would the water, you know, like bend to fill that, you know, to to do that? Of course, our argument is, well, gravity pulls everything towards the center of mass, and so so all the water is being pulled towards the center of the Earth, and so it keeps it flat relative to the center of the Earth, which is a slight curve. So, But yes, the water in Florida is as flat as the water in Hong Kong because all of it's being pulled to the center of the Earth at the same, uh, with the same amount of gravity. Okay, next one. This person says, place a matchstick on a basketball and open your mind to something other than a Hollywood movie. So this, I'm assuming what their argument is, is that there is, that the globe is would be like a basketball, or the basketball is like a globe, and the matchstick would be like us. And if you stick a matchstick on it, it's going to fall off. So again, this is an example of not understanding um, gravity. So the argument for gravity is that um, everything with mass is attracted to everything else with mass with a force proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the space, uh, to the distance between them. And I do know that formula because of a Weird Al song called um, uh, I Love My Pancreas, I, I believe, that I heard a long time ago. But anyway, it made it stick. So if you look up that song and listen to it, you get bonus points. But um, but gravity has been shown to um, that there, there's a constant that describes how much mass it takes to pull different things at different um, uh, the force. And the force is very, very, very tiny, which is why we can't really see it um, in in the scales that we're talking. I mean, the Earth is massive compared to us. Whew, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So the earth is just huge. And so even how big the earth is, we can still uh, fight the gravity of the earth by, you know, standing up or jumping or flying for that matter. And so, so the force we're talking about is tiny. And I remember that some guy, when he measured it, he got like a really heavy ball and then like another ball and like put it on a, on a little, um, I don't even know how to describe it. 
uh, kind of like a scale, but it wasn't scale. But anyway, it measured how much it pulled the two together. And he was able to use that to show that, um, that the balls were attracted to each other. So, so in this guy's example, if you put a matchstick on a basketball, the matchstick is going to fall off because the basketball doesn't have very much mass and the matchstick doesn't have very much mass. And the two of them are pulling on each other very, very slightly, but the amount of force we're talking is so small that it's negligible, especially compared to the gravity of the earth. So the matchstick is going to be pulled to the earth towards the center of the earth until it hits something like the ground to stop it from going to the center. Okay, let's read a few more. So, um, one person, I'm pretty sure they're joking, but I thought it was pretty funny. They said, the earth is flat. It will always be flat. That's how dinosaurs fall off, because the meteor bent it. So, yeah, I think that speaks for itself. Okay, so this other guy, he got into an argument. Uh, one guy said he was a pilot, and so that so he knew that the world was round or whatever. you know. So then he got attacked by someone. And they had a nice big comment that I'll go ahead and read. And he said, you say you're a pilot. Let's see. You say you are a pilot if, as you say, the earth is a globe. Do you compensate? That word's not spelled right. Constantly for the curvature. I assume that you would have to continually have to point the nose downwards with the curve. Or you would cruise at a constant altitude. Or if you cruise at constant altitude, you will fly off into space. Also, whilst landing, do you pull the plane sideways to compensate for the spin? No pilot, commercial pilot, has flown over the South Pole. That is an outright lie. Shame on you. Oh, because the guy said that he flew over South the South Pole. Shame on you. I am an engineer, and using engineering principles, I know, and oh, that when constructing train lines, no compensation is made for curvature, and it is a fact that water always finds a level, hence the term sea level, not sea curve. Wake up. In this guy's name, he put his name Richard, except he put it twice. Richard, Richard. <laughs> so, for extra emphasis. Okay, so this one's fun. So, the way I understand it, um, so he first says, if you're flying an airplane, you'd have to constantly point the nose downwards with the curve, or you'd cruise at constant altitude, or you'd fly off into space. Okay, so altitude is distance from the ground, I think. I'm, I'm assuming that's how you measure it. But And then the ground, of course, is a distance from the center of the Earth. So if you're following the same altitude, you're actually going to be curving as you go around. So if you stayed at a constant altitude, you would be in a curve. Now, what obviously what he means is if you just, I don't even know how you would, because you can't, you have to have a reference point. And that's where a lot of these arguments have hard times because the people don't realize everything's relative. So if you're dry, if, so I think what he's saying is, is like a, I think it's a tangent line. Is that what it is? When you have a line that just intersects with the top of a, of a circle. I think it is. So if you have a tan, if you're flying like a tangent line across the earth, you'd fly into space. But of course, if you're following the same altitude, that means you're going to stay the same distance above the ground, which would mean that you're, um, you know, curving or going down all the time as the guy's saying, but you wouldn't notice that you're going down because the distances we're talking about are, are huge. And, and you're not going down relative to the earth because, uh, 
because the earth is always the same distance below you. So you'd always be looking like you're just going level with the earth, which is what you're doing. But the earth is a circle. So you're actually going around it in a circle, which is why things in the air, when you fly, the higher you fly in the air, the longer it actually, the longer distance you're actually traveling. Okay. Uh, no pilot has flown over the South pole. I don't know if anyone has or not, but, um, as far as when constructing train lines, you're not making compensation for the curvature. Um, <clears throat> if your train, if your piece of metal, like your railroad track was long enough that you'd be able to see a curve in it. Um, I mean, you just wouldn't be able to make one that long. And so, so the, so as the train lines are built, as the rail lines are built, each one might be straight, <clears throat> but as you piece them together, they might have just slight variances in the level so that it follows the curvature of the earth. Um, and you know, that's how it works. And also most of the, you know, when you're, uh, doing the surveying and stuff to find out what level is you are doing it based on um, gravity, which is pulling towards the center of the earth. So it's going to show level when it's pulling it equally from the center of the earth. So then, so that kind of goes into his last thing. Water always finds a level. And the reason why water finds a level is because of gravity. So it's finding the, um, it's falling to the lowest or to the closest it can get to the center of the earth. And that's why it's called sea level, not sea curve. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> sea level, not sea curve. Okay. Let's see. Okay. I've just got one more. So I'll go ahead. it's a long one, but we'll go ahead and do it. Cause this is kind of fun. Okay. So this guy says, LOL, there is no gravity. That's why things don't just uproot into space. The earth does not move at 1,000 miles per hour. If it did, I'm sure we'd feel it. Especially more if walking or driving. If it was spinning at that speed, then why doesn't air travel rely solely on the rotation of the earth to reach its destination? Okay, maybe I should pause and hit these one at a time because this guy just packs in so many. Okay, so first of all, if there was gravity... Okay, so he says, if there was, there is no gravity, that's why things don't just uproot uproot into space. So I'm assuming what he's saying is that things in space would be tugging on us and pull us away from the earth. Or, I mean, I just don't understand his logic because gravity pulls you towards the most massive thing that's closer, you know, the, the most mass and the most, and the least distance, which in our case is the earth. And so nothing's going to be yanked into space from earth because earth is so much more massive and well, it's so massive and so close to us compared to even something like, um, like, uh, like the moon or the sun or Jupiter. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's why the asteroid belt formed was because Jupiter and the sun just ripped a planet into pieces, uh, from the conflicting gravity pulling from two sides. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like I've heard that before. Okay, so next item. The Earth does not move at 1,000 miles per hour. If it did, I'm sure we'd feel it, especially more if walking or driving. If it was spinning at that speed, then why doesn't air travel rely solely on the rotation of the Earth to reach its destination? 
okay, this is this is one you see a lot in these arguments too. Is people don't understand the difference between um, uh, velocity and acceleration. So we can't actually detect velocity uh, with our body. If you are moving at a constant rate and you closed your eyes, you couldn't see that you were moving, you wouldn't even be able to tell. Um, like if you're in a train, for example, and it's going at a constant speed, you know, let's say it's going at 50 miles an hour. Um, well, let's just use a car because we drive in cars all the time. If you're on the freeway driving in a car, you're not constantly feeling like you're going fast unless you look out the window. In fact, if you um, usually the only way you can tell is by how the bumps in the road. Uh, if, if the car was perfectly smooth and there were no bumps and you had your eyes closed, you wouldn't even be able to tell you were moving. Um, the thing that our body detects is acceleration and acceleration is, is when your speed changes over time. So if you're getting faster and faster and faster, that's what you feel. So for example, gravity is an acceleration force because it's pulling at us at 9.8 meters per second squared. And so, and so we're constantly being pulled down towards the earth. It's a constant thing. It's kind of like when when you get into the car and you're about to get on the freeway and you gas it, that's why you can feel that oh, and it pushes you back into your seat because you the acceleration force is working on you because your body is at rest or I guess it's not even at rest. It's going at a constant speed when you're getting close to the the, the entrance of the freeway. And then as soon as you start speeding up, the car is speeding up, but your body hasn't spe sped up yet. And so that's why you get pushed against your your seat as your as the car is moving forward and your body is still going at the other speed and then eventually when you get up to your speed and you slow back down again you relax and then you're at a constant speed so that's how the rotation of the earth works and also how when we rotate around the sun or orbit around the sun we don't feel those speeds because we are as a whole system we're moving at that speed at a constant rate if the if the if the earth suddenly stopped spinning, we would feel that because that would be a deceleration and, and we would go flying probably unless we're grabbing onto something. And so that's, that's the big difference there. I know it is mind boggling to think of how fast we're hurtling through space, but really it doesn't matter because, because speed is relative to something. So we might be going really fast compared to something that's just sitting in space but compared to everything else on Earth that's just sitting here, we're all just going at the exact same speed, which means we can't tell. Hopefully that makes sense. And most of you probably understand that concept anyway. But that's but that's what these people are missing here. Um, okay, so, so why doesn't air travel by solely on the rotation of the Earth? Okay, so that's kind of the same thing. So his thought process is one I've heard a lot. So if we jumped in the air, if the Earth was rotating, if we jumped then wouldn't the earth just rotate underneath us really fast and then we would smash into something? And so why don't airplanes just basically jump in the air, the earth rotates, and then we fall back down, and then it's over. Um, and the reason why is the same. Uh, we're all moving at a constant rate, and so unless we have a different force acting on us, we, um, we, uh, we won't be able to tell. It's like when you're driving in a car, if you're holding something in your hand and you're driving in a car on the freeway going 70 miles an hour, if you drop the thing into your lap, it'll fall straight down into your lap because the ball is already moving 
at that high speed. Um, another thing that's uh, experiment that's kind of cool that explains this is if you are, the example is like if you're driving in a truck going um, like 50 miles an hour and then you turn and I think the, I think the myth, Mythbusters did this at one point, you take like a cannon and you put it facing backwards out of your truck and you fire something out of it, like a, a cannonball and you fire it going 50 miles an hour the other direction if you're driving 50 miles an hour and then you launch it backwards 50 miles at 50 miles an hour the ball actually stops in midair and just drops to the ground um because if you were going at that speed and you just shot it forward going at that speed then it would actually go double um at least for a second because then you have air um uh air resistance and things like that, that slows it down very quickly and friction or whatever. But if you were in space where there's no air and you're going at 50 miles an hour and then you launch something forward at 50 miles an hour, now it's going a hundred miles an hour. Um, I believe that's how the math works. Okay. So anyway, I think I've kind of gone over that a little bit too much. Okay. So let's see his next thing. If, if it's a ball, so talking about the earth, I'm assuming, I'm pretty sure all the seas and oceans would be sloshing around violently and probably cause bigger, powerful tsunamis and tidal waves. So I'm not sure what his reasoning is. If the Earth was a ball, the seas and oceans would be sloshing around violently. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know what what the reasoning would be for that. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Can't think of anything. Okay. Um, uh, do, 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 do. If the earth rotated at all, then why are the trees still in the same spot? Why are the trees still in the same spot? If the earth rotated, then why are the trees still in the same spot? I don't... I just don't understand. I... I... Yeah. I just don't understand. The trees are attached to the earth, so they rotate with the earth. I, yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, if it rotates, why does, or where does it rotate? The land, the sky, the oceans and seas, the clouds, what, what rotates on it? If the land, then the continents would probably be in different places. If it rotates on water, then why aren't the seas and oceans swirling around in one direction? If it rotates by the sky, then why do planes or helicopters just hover? Why he probably means why don't planes or helicopters just hover and wait for the sky to take them to the destination? What makes the earth rotate anyway? An invisible force? Okay, I better stop there. So what part of the earth rotates? This one, yeah, this guy has such a strong opinion, and it's funny because he it's like he almost he almost understands so many different things, but he but I just don't like, I can't see how you can logically think any of these things. Uh, so, so if the Earth was just rotating, then the continents would be in different places. If the seas were, then they would just be swirling. <sighs> yeah, sometimes I wish I could talk to these people face-to-face -face and just hear 
like, because I just wonder, like, does this guy, can this guy really be serious? Like, is this a joke? And maybe it is. Maybe it's just a big joke. But anyway, to answer his question, the whole earth circles because it's all the, it's the whole system. The mass is pulling it all together. The mass is holding the whole system together, including the land, the sea, and the atmosphere around us. It's all, um, it's all rotating uh, with the Earth. As to what causes the Earth to rotate, an invisible force. Well, I don't remember exactly what the, uh, like what the um, method that got the Earth rotating in the first place is. But once it got rotating, it just, um, the, the earth is actually slowing down slowly. Um, the core on the inside is still spinning, uh, which keeps us spinning longer, but eventually the earth will stop spinning. Um, but the problem is when you're talking about outer space, there's just not much out there to slow down momentum. Things just keep going until something like friction uh, slows them down. And since there's not very much in space, you know, there's not a whole lot of friction. And so the earth is going to keep spinning at the same speed for a long time, but it is actually technically slowing down um, in its, in its spin. Um, so yes, that's the, the force is just, um, it was a force that was acted on the earth at one point and there's no opposite force to stop it from rotating. Okay, let's see. What makes the Earth to circle around the Sun? If it is gravity, Earth... Wait, if this is a gravity Earth, the how is Earth still even suspended? How is Earth still even suspended? If this is a gravity Earth, the how is Earth still even suspended? I'm not entirely sure what he's trying to say. Okay, maybe I'll just go on a little bit. Why don't the clouds or the sky itself fall? Why don't the clouds and the sky itself fall? Okay, so maybe he's saying if if there's gravity, um, if there's gravity on Earth, why are the clouds still um, in the sky, basically? Um, and that's actually probably the best argument he has because because that is something that might be a little bit confusing uh, because we think of air as kind of just this I don't know almost like it's not there because we don't really feel it too much but it's you if you think of it like a liquid like we're basically in an oxygen ocean um, the the clouds and everything all the gases in the air, are just different gases that flow at different um, levels. And this is where buoyancy comes in, um, real buoyancy, where you've got things that are different masses um, and different buoyancy being pulled towards the center of the Earth at different, uh, well, at the same rate, but because there's different mass, they're not being pulled as much. And so um, the clouds float because they're um, because they are less dense than all the air that's down here close to the ground. Kind of like in the ocean, the more dense 
cooler water is down at the ocean floor, and the um, the less dense, warmer water is up by the surface. So it's kind of that same concept. So it's not like the sky is floating. It's more like the whole Earth is just surrounded by a bubble of air, and there's things that float around in that bubble of air. Uh, so, so yeah. So the reason why things don't fall to the Earth because of gravity, uh, the question should actually be why don't things just float away if there isn't gravity? Things would just float away, but the Earth sucks them towards itself because of gravity. Okay. Whew. And the sun, okay, and if the sun is a huge burning ball of fire that's millions of miles away and the earth rotates while going around the sun, the wouldn't we have shorter nights? Oh man, I forgot about this one. Or nighttime that doesn't make the sky dark. Wouldn't night dark in the sky look like evening, seeing how the sun doesn't move, but earth goes around and rotates? The earth doesn't move or spin, that's why things stay in the same place. It's easier to think to keep things firm and in place on a flat surface. The stars move because they are within the firmament firmament, which the firmament slowly turns. The sun does circle the flat earth and it has different paths each season. Whew. Okay, so we wrapped up with our argument there. We got to the end. Okay. So if we're floating, if we're circling the sun and the earth's rotating, why don't we have, wouldn't the night dark in the sky look like evening, seeing how the sun doesn't move, blah, blah, blah. Okay, where is it? Oh, or nighttime that doesn't make the sky dark. Okay, so I think what he's thinking, and I can't follow his logic, but I think the idea is we're rotating and going around the sun, so wouldn't that make the night, day cycle weird because it's like since we're rotating around the sun and we're spinning that would make the days and nights weird i guess i'm guessing that's where he's coming from and the answer to that is that he he hasn't looked into what the opposite argument is because he doesn't even understand how we think that days and nights work so, for those of you that don't understand how days and nights work, the, the Earth is rotating, and every time it rotates, that's a day. And so when we're facing the sun, it's day, and when we're not facing the sun, it's night. But we're also rotating around the sun. But because we're, ro but we're rotating around the sun, it takes us 365-ish days to get around the sun. So we're going around the sun... Um, at a slow rate. So from day to day, you can't really see the change. But, but we can see it over the year because as we rotate, um, one, because the Earth is tilted, um, sometimes when we're on one side of the sun, oh, excuse me, when we're on one side of the sun, the northern hemisphere is closer to the sun, and on the other side of the sun, the southern hemisphere is closer, and which creates our seasons. So that is um, so that is how uh, how the rotation of the sun works. So yes, if we were rotating around the sun once per day and we were spinning it once per day, then you know we'd have some pretty weird 
um, we'd have some pretty weird night-day cycles. In fact, if they were exactly equal, I think that one side would just always be day and the other side would always be night. I'm not entirely sure if that's... Yeah, I think that's what it would do. Okay, well, that's all. So, hopefully that was kind of fun. I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. But, the whole point of that exercise is these people are kind of making themselves look like idiots. And they may... They may just be idiots, but they also might just not have looked into the other arguments. Um, the, all this guy would have to do is look up and see, okay, why, why, how does the rotation around the sun work and how does the earth spinning work and realize, okay, you know, this is why we think that the day and night cycle work the way that they do. And then he wouldn't have made this comment that um, sounds extremely ignorant. And that's how pretty much all of these arguments are. Um, they're not very well thought out because they're not, uh, the people haven't done research on what the opposing opinion is. And so I kind of wondered to myself, how often do I do something like that where there's a topic that I have an opinion on and I say, and, and I make some statement because I know that this is the way something is, but because I've never looked at the opposite opinion, I just look very ignorant, uh, having not researched it. And I probably do it more often than than I would like to admit. Well, I guess I can't admit it because I don't know. So, so I don't know why that saying is a saying. But the point is we should research both sides of the argument and see if maybe our opinion could be changed. And to be fair to anyone out there that is a flat earth believer, I did cherry pick these um these responses for the most entertaining ones. And so um, there were some people trying to make more logical arguments, but, uh, but, but still even those ones were, were mostly um, ignorant of how, how um, globe earthers actually think. So to be able to debate properly or to, to prove if you're, opinion makes sense or not, you need to do a lot of research on the other person's opinion to see why they think the way that they do. So I've done a lot of research into thinking about why flat earth theorists believe that the earth is flat. Um, and so, so I think that I've got pretty good footing to bolster my opinion to say that I, I think that I haven't heard a compelling case um, the arguments I've heard from that community have not been satisfactory, have not, have not, have not been satisfactory, have not been satisfactory enough. Is that a phrase that you can say? It's not been satisfactory enough to convince me that the earth is flat. So if you've got some, go ahead and send them to me. I enjoy talking about them, but don't be offended if I don't change my opinion. Um, I, I tell my wife this a lot. I'm very willing to change my opinion, but I'm very slow to change my opinion. So I'm pretty stubborn until you can get one little crack in my armor and then I'm, um, and then I'm willing to change. And mostly because I've been embarrassed many times in my life for, cause I'm, I'm very open with my opinions, um, which is probably more of a weakness than anything else. 
And so I often will just share my opinion very strongly and forcefully, and I will um, kind of fight for it. And growing up, I had many times where I felt like the biggest idiot because I would do that and then realize I was wrong, either because someone would point it out or that I would just realize later, which almost seemed worse. Just like, man, I just like stood up in front of everyone and made myself look like an idiot and no one even corrected me. And so now they all just still think that I'm an idiot. And so I've, I've worked really hard to always try to look at both sides of the issue. It doesn't mean that I'm always perfect at it, but I like to think that if you can come at me with, with logic and reason, I will listen to your arguments and I will argue back with reasons of my own. But if you do find something that I think to be more logical, then I'm more than willing to switch and change my opinion. And there's many things I've changed my opinion on in the past, uh, which I probably talk about more in the future. But, um, but yeah, so this is something that is very important for, for people to be willing to do. And sometimes I flip-flop my opinion back and forth a few times. I think one thing, and then I flip to the other, and then I flip back to the other as I, as I learn more about different things. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we should always be willing to change our opinions um, and try and learn new things. So, okay, well, this has been my longest show by a long shot, and <clears throat> my voice is almost gone. It's funny to think that my very first podcast was like 15 minutes long and I almost died doing it. Of course, I kind of had a cold, but this one I think is like an hour and like 20 minutes or something. So usually I do half an hour, but I think it's because I enjoy this topic a lot. And it was kind of fun to talk about the flatter things. So anyway, um, Yeah, I don't think there's anything else for me to say, so I'll probably just end there and and say with that, this has been another episode of the Solve My World podcast, helping us to all make the world a better place in our personal lives as well as the world in general. And so make sure to go out there and change your opinions as much as you can to find the correct opinion and... uh, Try to think logically about this because we've got a lot of people using emotion out there and we got to think logically. Okay, well, I already went back and started talking about it again, so I'm just going to end now. So, okay, bye.